Welcome to the Blue Cord Podcast. This is a place where everyday Christian women like you get inspired to be authentic witnesses in your daily life so that people who don't know Jesus come to know Him and make Him known. Hey there, Blue Cord friend. Welcome back. Today I'm with Hedy Amiramadi with Resurrect Ministry. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Hedia was a devout practicing Muslim for over 20 years, and her entire professional career, both inside the U.S. government and in the private sector, was built around her Muslim faith and how to defeat Islamic terrorism. Now, after a series of dramatic life events, she eventually had a dramatic personal encounter with Christ, and he transformed her life. Hedia, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy you're here too. So let's start at the beginning with your childhood. I am so curious about what you knew about God in your growing up years. Sure. My parents are immigrants from Iran. They came in the 60s. So they came before the revolution Mm -hmm. and they came to live the American dream. So our life was built around becoming Americans. We didn't speak Farsi really in the home. I actually ended up learning Farsi from my grandmother because she didn't speak English. Mm. And we weren't religious. My parents were very secular. We grew up learning how to be Americans. We had a, a dog, which is not common for Muslim families. And it was a very typical middle-class American household, mm. honestly. Mm. That is so interesting. So then how did you begin to practice your Muslim faith? My, my parents were great. I had uh, a wonderful home life, but my dad spoiled us. And that led to some really, <laughs> also describe it, but some obnoxious decadence in my life. And I felt lost and I wanted a relationship with God. And I went on this journey where I investigated Buddhism and yoga and actually becoming Jewish because I was dating a Jewish boy. And I thought, okay, that was what I was familiar with. I grew up in Beverly Hills, California. I actually had not met a Christian person until I was in college. So the only surrounding faith cultures I was exposed to was either Judaism and to a small extent, Islam. Hmm. But then I realized actually from my boyfriend's family that I wouldn't be accepted. They didn't accept converts and it was just something that they really did not encourage at all. When I went home and I talked to my parents, I was really close to my father, especially He said, you're culturally Muslim. That makes the most sense. You should be investigating Islam. And I was like, oh, okay. So I was, as a matter of fact, okay, that sounded reasonable. Hmm. And that was my entree into Islam. And then I started to date a Muslim guy and he took me to the mosque. And that actually turned out to be a very negative experience. Hmm. They were a extremist mosque and they were talking about taking over America through births, like basically women having babies. Uh And it was their concept of a civilizational jihad Mm -hmm. that the Muslim Brotherhood was famous for. And I just thought, oh, this is terrible. I want nothing to do with this. Until I met a um, mystical Sufi community, which was a much more spiritual sect of Islam, that I found a place where I felt comfortable. And that's where I landed in terms of a community. Oh, this is fascinating, Hadia, because as you were sharing these twists and turns to your faith journey, I can't help but think what a seeker you were all along the way. You were always seeking for God. And I just find it fascinating, too. You never met a Christian in your journey. Wow. So in that process, then, as you began to practice your Sufi Muslim religion, 
What did that look like? How, what did you know of God and how did you pray in that journey? The Sufi community I was a part of was very conservative. So we did all of the regular Muslim practices. I prayed five times a day. I maintained what's called the ritual purity for prayer. Mm-hmm. I fasted. I did all five prayers. I wore very conservative clothing. I had a head cover. And though it's a much more, I don't want to say monastic, but it was a very disciplined, devout community. Mm-hmm. And so our focus was on a relationship with God and seeking God's favor, but you never knew that you got it. So in Islam, God is a very distant God. He does not answer your prayers. There's no direct relationship. There's no communication. You send prayers up and you hope that He hears them. Mm-hmm. And so I had this earnest desire to be forgiven, to spend an eternity in paradise with God. I was a very earnest seeker. I tell people, I said, I have always wanted and seeked God. I just spent years having met the wrong one. Mm -hmm. It was until he eventually found me. I I found him, however you want to describe it, but he was there the whole time, as I know now. But because of my concern for my own community, my own faith journey, it was in the mid-90s, Bin Laden and Ayman Zawahiri started to fundraise for jihad in Afghanistan and Bosnia and in the United States, in Northern California to be specific. Mm. And when I learned about this, I became so concerned about what this would mean for the mainstream Muslim community, people like myself and my family, that I started to investigate what their motives were, what their modus operandi was, who was joining, what message did they use, who did that resonate with. And it just became an obsession of mine. And There was very few law enforcement officials that were involved at that time in the mid-90s. And Mm -hmm. I happened to come across a couple that were the most prominent. And they asked me, hey, we see you around all the time. What are you doing? And we stoke up a friendship exactly that way, honestly, Uh because they were just curious. They could tell that I was asking questions and that I was from the outside looking in. And those were some FBI agents from the field office locally. and. That began my relationship with law enforcement and basically investigating and helping the U.S. government understand the difference between mainstream Islam and Islamic terrorism and Islamic extremism. You bring up some good points because I think if we are not engaging with Muslims, it, it feels like through the news headlines that everybody's a terrorist. But at the end of the day, there were quite a few seekers. I, I would say about 80% of Muslims are seekers like you were who are working really hard to follow after God as you know him and seek the truth. And there is a radical portion there. If you reflect back at that time when you were a seeker, going to mosque with other seekers like yourself, what were their thoughts? We heard about your thoughts toward radical extremists. So were other seekers like you concerned about the same things? Oh, absolutely. My entire community was concerned for the most part about the same things I was. It was Uh, What a lot of people don't understand is that the extremist groups first had to decimate cultural normative Islam Mm -hmm. in the Middle East and South Asia in order to supplant it with extremist interpretations. Mm -hmm. In the 40s and the 50s, actually before the creation of Israel, the Muslim community practiced a very watered down, what we describe as a cultural interpretation of Islam. Uh And it wasn't until the much more politicized version came into being that it basically started to war against what was present in these communities. Mm -hmm. And they 
terrorized those communities in order to remove the power structures way before they started to attack the West. Mm. So they had to lay that foundation first. And so the people in my community that thought like me came from those communities. Mm -hmm. So their families were persecuted and even killed in Pakistan, Indonesia, other parts of Southeast Asia, other parts of uh, the Middle East, in Lebanon. They had experienced the Lebanese Civil War. Mm -hmm. It was extremely dramatic. They lost many family members. And so they were concerned about their new life in the democratic West Mm -hmm. um, being destroyed Mm -hmm. by these extremists. Considering how you and your friends were really seeking after God, some of you were traumatized by the things that happened in your own country. And meanwhile, everyday believers are afraid. (laughs) Afraid to cross those cultural boundaries just to share Jesus. And so I think that's exactly where Satan wants us. So I'm so curious, in the middle of this, as you are working, your, your professional career is focused in the government and in the private sector, you're working to defeat Islamic terrorism. What does that look like? Uh, so I was uh, what's known as a federal contractor. I worked for every branch of the U.S. government under five presidential administrations, doing whatever they needed, whether it was Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, Afghanistan. I worked in 37 countries in 10 years. Mm. So I went where they needed me most. And whether it was understanding local culture, building bulwarks against radicalization, helping programs develop, a lot of programs weren't getting off the ground well that were funded by the U.S. government, by the State Department. They asked me to come and evaluate the programs. How do we make them stronger? So whatever it was that I could do to assist in basically the non-kinetic forms of defeating radicalization, Mm -hmm. that's what I did. And my last stint before I left D.C. was at FBI headquarters, helping to develop a national terrorism prevention program based on a model that I had created locally in a community. Mm. Mm. That was the pinnacle of my career. I was just so happy to be there. (laughs) I bet. We could spend hours just unpacking all of this together. And and I bet you have some fascinating stories. All I can think is, in the middle of all of this, were you working hard to defeat Islamic terrorism, and you're wholeheartedly practicing your faith to, to grow closer to God so that you can go to paradise. How did you even hear about Jesus in the middle of all this? I didn't. <laughs> I, I okay. literally... I don't, it was, how, how did it happen? It's... Actually, interesting because it's God just flipped a switch. I was at the FBI. I decided I wanted to take my head cover off. It was just, I never enjoyed wearing it. I felt I was getting older. It wasn't necessary any longer. And so I removed it. And the religion unraveled. Mm-hmm. I was so attacked by my community. Even my friends were upset at me. Religious teachers were saying I was going to spend an eternity in hellfire because of removing my scarf. And I said, you know what? This is crazy. I cannot be part of a religion anymore that would send me to hell for a piece of fabric. Just yeah. doesn't make any sense. No. And I just laughed. I just, I, we have an expression in military terminology, which is called an exfil, which is you're in a very dangerous situation. You radio back home and you're like, exfil, out. I need to get out. Hmm. And that's what I felt is that God was just like, okay, we're leaving. And I moved back to Southern California where my parents were. My father had started to call me 
literally every week asking me to come home. At the time, I didn't realize he wasn't well. Mm. And so my daughter was about 10 years old. And I said, you know what, let's go back and visit grandpa. And she was like, okay. And we packed up all of our stuff. And in 30 days, I closed up a life that was 22 years in the making and moved back to Southern California. And in that process, because I was basically leaving Islam, I blew up not only my social life, but my professional career because I was really of no value to the U.S. government if I was no longer embedded in the Muslim community. And so I didn't care. I just left. And when I came back to Southern California, I felt like I was that 20-year-old kid again, lost, no relationship with God, personally, morally, the behavioral patterns that I had engaged in before I went into Islam had returned. I was just a mess. And it was a social media post of somebody I did not even know who said, hey, my pastor changed my life. Check out this video. Mm. And I was like, oh, interesting. I clicked on the video and it was just, (laughs) I was mesmerized. I was mesmerized by the simple gospel, which I had never heard up until that day. I was 48 years old, never heard the simple gospel. Wow. So the video was just the simple gospel. Yes. And so what happened at that moment as you heard that simple gospel? How how did it impact you? So the Jesus I knew from Islam, we never talked about salvation. He was a great prophet. He performed miracles. God loved him. He's Mm -hmm. returning in the last days. Mm -hmm. But the, the Jesus I heard from this preacher was, love him, accept him. He will give you eternity. He will give you eternal life. He will forgive your sins. He will nail them to the cross. And you will live in eternity in paradise. And I was like, oh my God, there it is. That's it. It's right there. That's what I've been searching for my whole life. And I prayed and I listened. I mean, I binge watched this pastor. I Hundreds of hours of videos I watched. Mm-hmm. I literally think I went through 10 years of his videos. And one day I was just praying for God to reveal himself. I had no Christian friends. I had not walked into a church. I did not have a Bible. I just asked God to reveal himself because at this point I'm thoroughly confused. I'm drawn to Christ, but I don't understand who Christ is. And I audibly heard the voice of Christ say, Hedia, it's me. And that was it. <laughs> that was the beginning of my walk with Christ for sure. Mm, what a beautiful story. I, I, just as you share all of that, I just think how sweet that the Lord was leaving you little breadcrumbs uh, all yes. along the way for you to find. And and it hurts my heart deeply to know that you lived well into your 40s before you heard the gospel for the first time. Yes. And so many of my listeners on this podcast right now have grown up with the Christian faith, and sometimes we might take it for granted and forget that there are so many people all around us who still have never heard wherever it is that we live. And people like yourself are searching so desperately for that truth. And once you heard it, you knew immediately that was the truth. Right. And then, oh, I love this. You prayed such a powerful prayer. I hear this time and time again that that when we ask God to reveal himself to us, Jesus does. And, Amen. And and you intuitively prayed that prayer wholeheartedly, and then he spoke to you. 
Okay, when you heard Jesus say, it's me, what happened next? (laughs) I sat up, I'm crying hysterically, and then fear and panic set in. I thought to myself, oh no, I'm going to be an idol worshiper. (laughs) I am going to be excommunicated. My family will never speak to me again. I will be subject to death threats. Literally, this wave of panic came over me. And as soon as that wave hit, it wasn't long after that I felt the Lord comforting my heart, talking to me, would refer to me as daughter, Mm. that I didn't bring you into faith to torture you. And it was this gentle walk, realizing that he loved me. I had spent my life fighting. I had spent my life in battle. My whole professional experience and my whole professional career was about battle. Mm. And I didn't want to battle anymore. And the Lord was basically walking me through what it meant to become a soldier of Christ, Mm. which was not battling in the flesh anymore, building resilience and building a relationship with the Lord that would allow me to have courage and to have strength and to be a source of light and goodness for people around me, to preach the gospel, to help bring others to faith, just as I had come to faith. And it was a complete transformation of who I was. And mind you, most of this is still happening just in my living room. At this point, I I had visited a local church, but most of it was happening with a mentor I had met at the church that I was watching online through the Bible, just logos.com, Bible software, a printed Bible in my hand, and prayer. Mm, The Holy Spirit was your teacher through that living word. Praise God. So how did your family respond in the middle of all this? My parents knew that I was just exhausted. My father especially was, I don't know how to explain it. They were sad that my experience in Islam was so negative and so difficult. And the Islam that they had remembered from back home was a cultural Islam. That was the Islam in Iran before the revolution. Uh And so they understood that I needed love and that I needed grace. And that I never found that in Islam. So they were quite accepting. They were very supportive, quite beautiful. But the rest of my family was not supportive. So unfortunately, my daughter lost a lot of relatives and cousins and nieces and nephews and family members that she otherwise had and enjoyed up until that point in her life. And that part was really hard. I bet. I bet. I'm sorry that your daughter had to walk through that. I know life has just dramatically changed for you since that moment. Yes. And so, like, fast forward now. You're living as an authentic witness among many people, including Muslims. And I know that your heart is for people to come to know Jesus. And so you started your own ministry, Resurrect Ministry. And I know you probably have some amazing stories about how you are seeing God at work through that ministry right now. So I'd love for you to share a story or two about how you're seeing God at work in our world today. Sure. So it is resurrectministry.com and the Lord put in my heart to start a ministry for people to find a relationship with Christ the same way I did. Uh So uh, my tagline is, he will meet you where you are. So whether you're a princess walled up in a palace in Dubai or you're a housewife in Southern California, he will meet you where you are. And mm-hmm. so I put all kinds of resources on the site and also a way to access me directly. So I encourage people to put comments. Me and my husband 
do a regular podcast called the Living Fearless Devotional. Mm. And we invite people to drop us a line so they can either join us live or they can send us a message with their prayer requests, with their curiosity, with their questions. And I've just had the most amazing people contact me. I've had a person that said that their family, that they had basically met Jesus. They were exploring their relationship with Jesus just as I had online. Uh And they had a bunch of questions about faith, which was awesome. Mm. And I got a chance to answer those. Some of them are from parents whose kids are about to either go into Islam or have already gone into Islam and they're devastated. And so they ask for advice on how to either prevent the child from going into Islam or to be open to how they come back. Mm -hmm. That is a real passion of mine is to help those families and to help those people that decide to turn to Islam and then want to leave because that's not an easy journey. And I've met a number of women that had either just left or were trying to leave Uh and now had to deal with family members and their children and finding the strength and the courage to leave. And my heart really goes out to those people. And fortunately, when I was a Muslim, was part of a community that had thousands and thousands of Christian converts. And one time in, in a dream, I heard the Lord say to me, go and bring my sons and daughters back. And it woke me up from sleep and I thought, back? And then I realized that's what he was referring to, is that I had been a part of taking people away from Christ and that it was part of my responsibility to help bring them back and to be a resource for people who tried to come back to the Lord. And that's profoundly important to me. Amen. Amen. Um, it, it's just so interesting as we, as I grew up in, in America's heartland back at a time when 93% of Americans identified as Christian. But now wow. there's just 63% who identify as Christian. However, yes. just 4% have a biblical worldview. And so we are living in interesting times. I, I just remember vividly how my son came into the kitchen to chat with me when he was 10 and said, hey, mom, my friend Muhammad, he believes in God too. So why do I need to tell him about Jesus? And so I think we have such an opportunity as parents to make sure that we're passing on to our children the profound differences. As Christians, we are saved because Christ came here to seek after us. And then in Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism, our friends in those who are practicing those religions are working very hard to get to God. So it, it, it's just interesting times for us to equip our children right now. So important. It's so important to, to equip our children because we don't realize what they don't know until you have a conversation about what they don't know. I had a conversation with a professional, a Christian therapist Mm -hmm. who did not understand that we didn't worship the same God. I took 30 minutes out of a professional conversation to say, wait a minute, let's, let me unpack this for you because we don't do Muslims any favors by saying we worship the same God. It's not the same God. They draw no closer to salvation or to a relationship with Christ by saying it's the same God. And if our kids don't know that, then they can't be protected for their own faith and they can't help their friends who are Muslims 
find the one true God. Mm-hmm. And so the, the way I encourage most people to have that conversation is to say, I understand what you believe or to ask them questions. What do you believe? And then say, but my God, this is what I believe. Mm-hmm. So it's not offensive to tell people what you believe. And remember, it's the difference between life and death. Amen. You hide the truth and, and you risk that person spending an eternity um, away from God and an eternity that does not have everlasting life. And so it's so important to equip our family members and the people we love, those that are close to us. I love it. I think we have an opportunity to respond to situations like that, to take the conversation to a higher spiritual level by pointing to God's truth, especially with the Bible, that living word that you learned so much from on your own journey. We're getting close to the end of our time, and I would just like to know just a couple more things. One, what are you finding to be true about God's heart for the nations, those people who don't know Him right now? What's on your heart about that, and what would you like to share with our listener today? Wherever you look in the world right now between Israel and Palestine, of course, our heart bleeds for what happened to the Israeli people. But it's important we we remember that neither side has saving faith in Christ. And our most earnest prayer is that for the people of God, for the people of Israel to come to saving faith in Christ, but to also pray for the Palestinians Mm -hmm. to come to saving faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. God wishes that none should perish and that our earnest and sincere desire should be that in the midst of the suffering, the pain, and the death, that they would have miraculous, radical encounters with the living God. Jesus can and does show up. Mm-hmm. And I just pray that everybody stands in the gap for all of those people and prays that He does show up and that people come to saving faith in Christ and that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that He is Lord. Mm-hmm. And so I honestly believe that's God's heart. It's happening all over the Middle East, it's happening in Iran, it's happening in Saudi Arabia, it's happening in Afghanistan, and to just continue to pray for those miraculous encounters to occur. Amen. I think what the enemy means for harm, God is turning to good because doors are opening up all over the world for believers to be authentic witnesses with our, especially our Muslim friends right now, who are hurting, perhaps have trauma, and who the situation in the Holy Land right now is just devastating. And again, this is opportunities for us to take our friends to a higher spiritual truth and not get sucked into all all the chaos and the worldly sin that's happening, but we can point to truth, God's truth, and we can be peacemakers, and we can point people to Jesus, who is the only one who can transform lives. Share with us how people can get a hold of you and your ministry. Sure. The website address is resurrectministry.com. And you can check out the content. And then there's a comment section. I'd love to hear from people. I don't care whether it's a simple fact about their lives, sharing a detail or wanting to ask me a question. I really encourage people to drop a line and let me know how I could help. And we also have a podcast. It's called The Living Fearless Devotional. And then if you can't remember either of those, just remember my name, Hedia Miramadi, and Google me. You could find how to reach me for sure. Okay. One parting thought as 
our listener is thinking today, they've heard, I think you've really shared some great themes. One is that God is at work all around us. And even when we can't see him, him at work, he may be at work in someone's life in your neighborhood, perhaps a coworker, a friend. And if you're a believer and you haven't mentioned that you're a believer, it could be possible that person is seeking after the Lord with all their heart and they don't know the gospel. They've never heard that gospel, but they are not far from God because you live there. And so I think certainly, Heather, you have inspired and encouraged me to be intentional with yes. my witness because there are people probably all around me who are looking and seeking like you. And I would hate to think that my neighbor would be here for 40 years and never hear the gospel. The other thing I think that really stood out to me as you were sharing, Hedia, was the living word, God's living word. Because there wasn't a believer who shared Jesus or the gospel, you began to go on that journey and the Holy Spirit guided you and he was wooing you to himself. How he used the Bible to disciple you. The Holy Spirit was discipling. Yes. And, and then lastly, I think that you gave us a glimpse into some things we should be aware of and perhaps concerned about as we have Muslim friends who are around us who are seekers, largely seekers, but also there's an element who are more radical. And we have opportunities to just keep shining the light and, and be wise as serpents, huh? Don't lose the opportunity to be salt and light. In other words, offer to pray for people, whether it's a waitress in a restaurant or the checkout person at Trader Joe's, is that you just look at them, see... If you sense that they're in trouble, you sense they're having a hard day, just be like, hey, can I pray for you? Just offering to pray for people, just loving on people. I saw a neighbor the other day walking and I saw a Jewish star on her neck and we were just walking around the neighborhood. And I said to her, I said, I'm so sorry about what's happening in Israel right now. Mm. And she said, oh my God, I can't believe you stopped me to say that. And I said, of course, I'm a believer in Jesus and we are heart bleeds for what's happening to your people. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it's just like this sense of relief that came over her. It's just helping draw people just one step closer to Jesus. Oh, beautiful. I love that story because you identified yourself with Jesus quickly and you offered to pray with her in Jesus' name and you learned loving yes. her. Those are a simple, practical thing that every one of our listeners can do today. So, Yes. Hedia, thank you for joining me on this Blue Cord podcast episode today. What a special treat it has been. I can't wait to go back and listen to it again myself. It was fabulous. Yeah. And so I just want to hold some time now for our listener just to reflect back with some of your big takeaways. What are some very practical things, at least one practical thing that really touched your heart that Hedia shared? Just one aha moment that you had. I want to encourage you to go talk with a friend about that, share that aha moment, and perhaps share this podcast episode with a friend so that um, together you might be that person of influence that influences your friend to be a light in a dark place right now. Can't wait to talk to you next week. Thanks for joining me. I'd love to know more about you and how this podcast is serving you. Make sure to sign up to get our weekly emails on the website at thebluecord.org. Then when you get an email from me, you can jot me back a note. If you're enjoying the Blue Cord podcast or the book, would you post an online review so that others know what to expect? That would mean a lot. Thanks so much. Have a great week.